I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. You may be seated. A serrano pepper is five times hotter than a jalapeno. I once ate one by accident. <laughs> At an Indian dinner in South Africa, I thought it was a green bean. I have never before wanted to hook my lips up to a fire hydrant, but now I know what that impulse feels like. I will never eat this pepper again. But what I now know about myself is, I can take a serrano pepper and put it in my mouth and survive it. When I was in high school, and my brother was in middle school, my mom called us both to dinner, but my brother didn't respond immediately. So I mustered all my eldest child self-righteousness, walked over to the Nintendo, which my brother was playing, and turned it off. And that's when it happened. I took my first gut punch. <laughs> I will never turn off a middle schooler's Nintendo again. But now I know that I can take a gut punch and survive it. About 10 years ago, I sat in a coffee shop in North Carolina with a professor of mine who is a Jewish rabbi. I shared with him the connections I was seeing in his class at the intersections of Marvel comic superheroes, American cultural superhero worship, and ancient rabbinic stories from the third century, where if someone was seen picking grain on the Sabbath, the rabbis could shoot lightning bolts out of their eyes and obliterate the field of wheat to protect them. How cool is that? <laughs> My professor listened, he took a sip of his espresso, and said, that sounds to me like a dissertation topic. <laughs> and deer and headlights, before my eyes flashed a scene, a telos of doctoral work for me, sitting in a room with six chairs staring at me, my right leg tapping furiously as I waited for six people who know more than me about Judaism and Hebrew and history and possibly even superheroes to fill those chairs for the sole purpose of criticizing hundreds of my words and ideas. And I very quickly said to him between nervous sips of tea, Doctoral work, that isn't for me. <laughs> See, I can take a serrano pepper and put it in my mouth and survive it. And I can take a gut punch from a middle schooler and survive that. But criticism? Ooh, I'm not sure I can survive it. Criticism. Am I right? I mean, <laughs> I don't even like the way the word sounds. It comes to us in English from the Latin word criticus, which sounds to me like a nightmarish creature who creeps out of the floorboards at twilight, right? Criticus. <laughs> Criticism. It's by definition an expression of disapproval based on perceived faults or mistakes. It's a cold analysis of someone else's work. And I fear criticism is lurking under the floorboards of today's epistle. The author writes to the church at Colossae, a long list of beautiful, encouraging words. You have them printed in your bulletin. He's inviting the people of this church to participate fully 
in the spirit of the kingdom of Christ. Remember, you are chosen, you're forgiven, beloved, he tells them. So be thankful. Show one another compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love, gratitude. Yeah. And then this awkward line shows up near the end of the list of beautiful things. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Wait, admonish? What is this ugly-ish word doing alongside all the beautiful ones? It reeks of criticism, right? I read the epistle a few times baffled as to how this word was supposed to be a part of the kingdom of Christ and why I was going to have it have to be a part of my sermon. And that's when I remembered something else this rabbi said to me years ago. He said that in order to be a good preacher, I would have to become an oyster. Obviously. But I soon found out it was obvious because when a grain of sand or another irritating substance gets inside the shell of an oyster, the animal combs over it and combs over it to stop the irritation and in so doing creates a pearl. So I sat with criticism this week, combed over it a few times, and it's my irritant today. The Greek word here literally means to put into mind. That's what admonish means in the Greek, to put into mind. And it brings to my mind phrases like, mind your manners, mind your P's and Q's, mind your tongue. Has anyone ever told you to mind yourself before? Check yourself before you wreck yourself? To pay attention to the way you're saying or doing something when you honestly don't care. The thought of this kind of moment gives me that walking on eggshells feeling like I'm not allowed to be comfortable in my own skin. The message I get is I have to watch everything I do before I do it and everything I want to speak before I speak it in order to be approved. It's exhausting. It feels to me like the one telling me to mind myself wants me to take on all their anxiety about some perceived social norm that I don't share. I don't care. I'm not interested. Any of you feel that way? If not, how does perceived criticism affect you? Psychologists tell us that in relationships, anything that criticism gains in the short term, it's lost in the long game because of the resentment that can build up between people. Those being criticized feel devalued because they've been told to submit to something outside themselves and human beings, well, we hate to submit. And the criticizer feels like they're constantly misunderstood regarding their intentions for all the helpful advice that they're giving and they don't understand why and so resentment, 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 resentment. And criticism this is why it doesn't give way to the flourishing of human relationships. So why is it a part of the rule book in Christ's heavenly kingdom? I don't get it. Compassion, kindness, patience, yes, please. We can all agree to live with that. But what good does admonishing do for us? So after I stewed in frustration for a while, I figured I had to comb over this again. So I thought I'd comb over the letter from the Colossians and ask, 
what good did admonishment do for their church? So what we know of this letter to the people of Colossae was that they were being taught by some rogue preachers that Jesus was an angel, one of the many elemental spirits of the universe. And like angel worshiping at that time, they were told to appease this angelic Christ as they had to appease other powerful beings through ritual acts of sacrifice and self-denial. So the author of this letter, one of the church's fathers of the faith, writes to assure the people that Jesus is preeminent in the spiritual realm, so not an angel. Maybe the ruler of angels, but, but really one who's much less concerned with getting sacrifices and more concerned with dishing out grace. The writer wants to reorient people who are putting Jesus in a box he doesn't fit in. The chapter just before today's text pretty much starts out, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Watch out, he writes, that no one takes you captive through philosophy that an empty deceit according to human traditions, according to those elemental principles of the world that aren't according to Christ. So in some ways, this letter to the Colossians, the whole thing is a letter of admonishment. The author is warning people what will happen if they don't take Jesus out of the box of their old way of thinking. And then, after admonishing, he offers them a beautiful list of qualities that will emerge among them if they will let Jesus actually be more than an angel to them, if they'll receive the gift of grace through Christ as their Savior. Their old way of seeing things wasn't going to cause human flourishing. It was going to breed resentments between them and between them and God. So they were encouraged to mind one another, to admonish each other when they caught someone acting out of an old way of thinking. See, that church didn't need to satiate the gods anymore. They simply needed to live into the grace that Jesus had already given them. And that's when it clicked for me, admonishment, okay, not the same as criticism. I was so afraid of criticism that I, I could sniff it from afar. I didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. But this was something different. See, to criticize is to find fault in something that's already occurred. But to admonish is to warn of a fault that may be coming. Criticism looks back and says, you did that, and now you have to deal with the consequences. But admonishment, it looks forward and says, if something doesn't change now, you may not like the consequences that will inevitably flow from this. Criticism breeds resentment, but admonishment breeds wisdom. That's why the word is couched between teach and wisdom in the list of beautiful things from today. Admonishment is not harsh like criticism, but it's gentle. The reproof invites us to ask ourselves, what if I looked at this moment differently? What if I didn't do it on my own? What if I tried something new? What if I opened myself up to a concept I've not considered before? How does all this new information change the way I see this moment now? 
only I could take all of this and transport back 10 years to my imaginary dissertation defense and ask these questions of myself. Perhaps I'd see those six empty chairs in my anxious academic mind as potential sources of insight and wisdom instead of potential sources of criticism. Admonishment produces foresight and helps us to ward off future suffering, future mistakes we won't be able to take back. How might your world change if you heard admonishment in the words of those who love you most instead of criticism? If you took their thoughts as insight, as things meant to care for you? And what might change for those of us who are so quick to criticize, to adopt gentle language of admonishment to make our points? Maybe we'd all earn PhDs in relationships. And our families and our marriages with our children and friends, with our colleagues, with the person next to us in the pew, even with God. I promise you can take a serrano pepper and put it in your mouth and survive it. Or take a gut punch from a middle schooler. I think you and I both could take an admonishment. All we have to do is sit with it together, comb over it a few times like an oyster. And the irritant will turn into a precious pearl of wisdom. <laughs>